Welcome back to The Daily Poem here in the Close Reads Podcast Network. I'm David Kern. Today's poem is by Paul Mariani. He was born in 1940 in New York City and is a professor currently at Boston College. Mariani's published work includes six biographies and seven volumes of poetry. And in 2009, he was given the John Chardy Award for Lifetime Achievement in Poetry. He's been honored with fellowships from the Guggenheim Foundation, the National Endowment for the Arts, and the National Endowment for the Humanities. The poem that I'm going to read today is called Quid Pro Quo. And uh, I will just say that there is a reference to something that is um, a little bit adult. So if you typically listen with your kids, you may want to listen first and then decide whether or not you think that it's okay to listen with them. I know there's quite a few children who listen. Normally, I wouldn't do that. It's a pretty mild reference, but given the circumstances, you may want to consider that first. Normally, I won't even consider reading poems that are questionable in nature, but I think this one is, uh, is, worth, is worth considering. So again, this is Quid Pro Quo by Paul Mariani. Just after my wife's miscarriage, her second in four months, I was sitting in an empty classroom exchanging notes with my friend, a budding Joyce scholar with steel-rimmed glasses, when lapsed Irish Catholic that he was, he surprised me by asking what I thought now of God's ways toward man. It was spring. Such spring as came to the flint-backed Shenango Valley thirty years ago, the full force of Siberian behind each blast of wind. Once more my poor wife was in the local four-room hospital, recovering. The sun was going down, the room's pine-wood panels all but swallowing the gelid light when suddenly I surprised not only myself but my colleague by raising my middle finger up to heaven. Quid pro quo, the hardly grand, defiant gesture, a variant on Vani Fucci's figs, shocking not only my friend, but in truth the gesture's perpetrator too. I was twenty-four, and in spite of having pored over the confessions and that Catholic tractate called the Summa, was sure I'd seen enough of God's erstwhile days toward man. That summer, under a pulsing midnight sky shimmering with Van Gogh stars, in a creaking, cedar-scented cabin off Lake George, having lied to the gentrified owner of the boys' camp that indeed I knew wilderness and lakes and could, if need be, lead a whole fleet of canoes down the turbulent whitewater passages of the Fulton Chain, I, who had been in a rowboat with my parents at the age of six. My wife and I made love, trying not to disturb whosoever headboard and water glass lie just beyond the paper-thin partition at our feet. In the great black Adirondack stillness, as we lay there on our sagging mattress, my wife and I gazed out through the broken roof onto a sky that seemed somehow to look back down on us. And in that place, that holy place, she must have conceived again. For nine months later in a New York hospital, she brought forth a son, a little Buddha-bellied, rumpelstiltskin runt of a man who burned to face the sun. The fact of his being there, both terrifying and lifting me at once, this son this gift, whom I still look upon with joy and awe. Worst, best, just last year, this same son, grown to manhood now, knelt before a marble altar to vow everything he had to the same God I had had my own erstwhile dealings with. How does one bargain with a God like this, who, quid pro quo, ups the ante each time? He answers one sign with another. If you look at um, Paul Mariani's 
selected works, just a list of his books, say on Wikipedia or something like that, there are three poets that stand out the most to me that he's written about. He's written about the life of Wallace Stevens. He's written quite a bit about Gerard Manley Hopkins. And he's written about William Carlos Williams. I think you see each of their influences in a poem like this. The deeply spiritual um, thoughtfulness, the contemplation, the, um, the deep yearnings at work there. You see um, some of the stylistic choices of William Carlos Williams, but also, I think, of Hopkins and of Stevens in the way that they um, played with language. Hopkins is, has a very high energy in his writing. And I think that you, you see that here even in a narrative poem or something like a narrative poem like this. But doubt is, of course, one of the great common threads throughout so much of poetry. This is one of my favorite poems about doubt, about the way that our doubts are often answered through miracles, through many miracles, and the way that um, sometimes if we are not attuned to the way that that little things in our lives, that, that everyday things are also miracles, then our doubts can take over. Of course, there's all kinds of dichotomies, reversals at play here. That last bit about his son, he says, worst, best, just last year, this same son grown to manhood now, knelt before a marble altar. That worst, best dichotomy that he creates there is, uh, is fascinating. That The worst moments lead into the best moments sometimes without knowing. And even in the best things, they can lead to tragedy and grief, just as they can lead to life and joy. That there is, there is so often this fine line between proof for the things that we're doubting and the need for faith when it seems hardest to have faith. I think he talks about how his friend was a lapsed Irish Catholic. I think this is a poem about how very often we are all lapsed whenever we are. And then we're given a sign that responds to something. That it's not about bargaining. You can't bargain with God. Um, this is a poem about the futility, I think, of bargaining. We can't give something in return for the favor that God shows us. That's why it's a miracle. That's why it's love. And that's why it's faith. Like the images in a poem lead one to the next, the signs that God gives us lead one to the next, creating a picture of his favor. So those are some of the things that this poem makes me think about. I'll read it one more time for you. Even though it's a little bit long, we'll do it one more time. Quid pro quo, Paul Mariani. Just after my wife's second miscarriage, her second in four months, I was sitting in an empty classroom exchanging notes with my friend, a budding Joyce scholar with steel-rimmed glasses, when, lapsed Irish Catholic that he was, he surprised me by asking what I thought and now of God's ways toward man. It was spring, such spring as came to the flint-backed Shenango Valley thirty years ago, the full force of Siberia behind each blast of wind. Once more my poor wife was in the local four-room hospital recovering. The sun was going down the room's pine wood panels all but swallowing the gelid light when suddenly I surprised not only myself but my colleague by raising my middle finger up to heaven. Quid pro quo. The hardly grand, defiant gesture, a variant of Vanifucci's figs, shocking not only my friend, but in truth the gesture's perpetrator too. 
I was 24, and in spite of having pored over the confessions and that Catholic tractate called the Summa, was sure I'd seen enough of God's erstwhile ways toward man. That summer, under a pulsing midnight sky shimmering with Van Gogh stars, in a creaking, cedar-scented cabin off Lake George, having lied to the gentrified owner of the boys' camp that indeed I knew wilderness and lakes and could, if need be, lead a whole fleet of canoes down the turbulent whitewater passages of the Fulton Chain, I, who had last been in a rowboat with my parents at the age of six. My wife and I made love, trying not to disturb whosoever headboard and water glass lied just beyond the paper-thin partition at our feet. In the great black Adirondack stillness, as we lay there on our sagging mattress, my wife and I gazed out through the broken roof into a sky that seemed, somehow, to look back down on us. And in that place, that holy place, she must have conceived again. For nine months later, in a New York hospital, she brought forth a son, a little Buddha-bellied Rumpelstiltskin runt of a man who burned to face the sun, the fact of his being there both terrifying and lifting me at once. This son, this gift, whom I still look upon with joy and awe. Worst, best, just last year this same son, grown to manhood now, knelt before a marble altar to vow everything he had to the same God I had had my own erstwhile dealings with. How does one bargain with a God like this, who, quid pro quo, ups the ante each time he answers one sign with another? This has been The Daily Poem. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back on Tuesday with another poem for you.